listener production. Lindsay. Jacob. Have you tried pilk yet? Pilk? <laughs> what is pilk? Do you want to have a guess? Pilk, something to do with milk? Yep. A protein milk, a pink milk? Mm, try Pepsi milk. Ew, uh, Pepsi is milk. correct response. Oh. Yes. Uh, Lindsay Lohan, who is currently mm. experienced the Lohanissance, <laughs> She's rebuilding her career and she's done this ad campaign with Pepsi uh, where she drinks pilk and calls it a dirty soda with this sort of flirty subtext to it. It's one of the most disturbing, distressing things I've seen in quite some time. So is this a new product from Pepsi? No, I believe it's a make-it-yourself situation. It sounds very complicated. I can't possibly imagine how I would mix the two of them together. (laughs) I can't imagine why you would mix the two of them together. But I guess it maybe is a bit like a ice cream spider. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, I obviously I don't touch dairy and I'm mm-hmm. not a soft drink kind of guy, so I'm going nowhere near it. Um, but Gisners, let us know mm. if you've tried Pilk and how your system responded to it. It sounds easy enough to recreate at home. Mm, yeah, but just because you can, should you? <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, We have a very fun episode with our return guest, Mr. Sean Zepps. Always fun to be in the Mm -hmm. studio with him. Such a random story. Um, (laughs) I just really enjoyed when I was telling this story, watching you cringe and squirm at all of the social awkwardness. It's very cringy. Uh, when Hans Christian Andersen invited himself to go and stay at Charles Dickens' house. So uh, good luck making it through to the end, Gisners. I think you'll enjoy it. But, um, yeah, there might be a few times where I always call it a lemon to the eye where mm. you're, like, embarrassed for someone else and it makes your own eyes water. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. But I believe before we get into that, you told me that you've stumbled across some exciting news. Yes, some news relevant to your interests that has stumbled into my orbit, this time from the sh- of the share variety. Oh, the best kind. Your close personal friend. Mm. So she has revealed that she is in a new relationship with a young hunk named Alexander A.E. Edwards. Uh-huh. There is a bit of an age difference. Mm. Cher is 76 and Alex is 36, which, and I quote, Looks strange on paper, but love knows no math. So congratulations to the happy couple. Yes. And also her theory is that um, younger guys are a lot more accepting of her sort of boisterousness Mm. and outlandishness and how ridiculous she is. She knows that she can be fairly ridiculous um, and doesn't try to sort of clamp her down, whereas older guys are a bit more stuffy, Mm. a bit more stuck in their ways, a bit, yeah, musty. Um, So, yeah. Get it, Cher. Congratulations. Yes. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, Gistners, and welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. As you know, Rosie is taking a bit of time off to look after her health, and in the meantime, we've got some extra special guest hosts who've been coming on board. And this week, we are welcoming one of our dear, dear friends back to join the Frequent Flyers Club here at Just the Gist, mm-hmm. Mr. Sean Zell. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yes. Hello. <laughs> Congratulations, Sean. You made it. Oh, I had to beg for it. I literally had to peer pressure you guys. I had blackmail, <laughs> but I got my cocktail and I'm back on the damn show. <laughs> it's an exclusive club. It's just you, Stuart Semple, and Abby Chatfield who've oh, been on multiple times. Yes. What a prestigious crew you are part of. Thank you. Um, yes, enjoy the complimentary beverage mm. as a very valued member. Mm, so good. So we had you here on Just The Gist back in May. Yes. Time's flown by. What have you been up to? Oh, what have I been up to? Parenting, making content on Instagram. I think the biggest update in my life is my podcast, Come Out Wherever You Are, mm. shifted from one day a week to two days a week. Yep. It used to just be an interview show where we interviewed people about their coming out experience. And the second episode was an opportunity for us to maybe stretch outside the mm. queer community because... There's all these interesting cultural moments that affect our lives, and there isn't actually really a news show that focuses on what's happening in the world of queer. Mm -hmm. And so the second episode every Friday is my opportunity to like be a little bit of a news reader, have an opinion about something that's happening. It's called mm -hmm. Queer Questions, where we answer a question that is affecting the lives of queer people everywhere. Mm -hmm. I would say that's the biggest update. And you've also had some fantastic guests come on yes. the show. Any that you want to call out that have been really meaningful for you in I the mean, last few months? No joke. And this is not like an exaggeration. Probably the highlight of the last five years. So mm. people who follow me know I'm, I play tennis. I'm really big into tennis. Mm -hmm. And I obviously love queer issues. And Casey Delacqua is former number one Australian tennis player. I didn't know that she was going to be in the studio, mm. but I knew I was going to be interviewing her. I was anxious for days, like mm -hmm. consumed by it. It's very rare that you get to marry what you do professionally and what mm. you care about personally. So mm. I thought, I can't, this has the potential for to be the best interview I've ever done. Like to me, I've been watching her forever. Yeah. I knew, like when she came out, it like shaped my life as a little gay tennis player. So, and then Lindsay was like, I'm like, so when is the computer going to be on? Mm. Lindsay's like, she's coming in. And I just freaked <laughs> out, <laughs> fell on the desk, screamed, wiped away tears. And I just think the interview is like the best of what the show can be about, mm. which is it's, it's about her, but it's also a deep understanding of her profession and how her queerness affects that job. Mm. And so I just walked away as like, it's going to be hard to top that. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, on that note, I can <laughs> I can tell you none of that has anything to do even tangentially with this particular Here's story. Here's a segue that makes no sense. <laughs> uh, I'll just, in a very jarring way, switch direction and mm. we'll get into talking about this week's story, which is the story of an awkward house guest who invited himself to go and stay with a host and then refused to leave. Have either of you ever experienced anything similar to this? Had a guest come and stay with you and they turned out to be an absolute punish, maybe wore out their welcome? No, but maybe I have been the guest. <laughs> I questioned that myself. Mm, I'm just wondering how drunk I've gotten on how many occasions where I was like, I'm just going to sleep here on the floor. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I'm sure I've um, ruffled a few feathers as a guest. I mm. definitely in this process learned that I've been more of a bad host. Oh, over the years. Okay. Yeah. Back when I had a house for people to come and stay at before I became a full-time nomad, I had some friends who'd come to stay with me for like weeks or even months at a time because it was a great deal for them because I was traveling so much. They mm, just had mm, the place mm. to themselves most of the time. Problem was I had a lot of rules and apparently they were unreasonably <laughs> restrictive. You can't sit. You can't breathe too loud. <laughs> Don't eat anything. I didn't allow cooking and I didn't allow hot food in the house. <laughs> Because I couldn't handle the smell. Mm. 
and I would know. And they would try to deceive me by cooking while I wasn't there and I'd walk in the door, immediately sense it, and of course I would have to call it out. Do you have an elite nose? Is that like I a do. thing of you? Because yeah. I know that that is a real legit thing. Mm, yeah, like... like found that I could not sleep if the house smelled like food. And also I was very clear that I used the kitchen as a storage space for my skincare. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> okay, Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> yeah, well, I shoes and my tax papers in did. the oven. Oh, the my kitchen goodness. is not for cooking. And also speaking of skincare, that's the other big rule I had for people, the pile of stuff they were allowed to use, the pile of stuff that was off limits. And if they were going to use anything, specific utensils they were allowed to use. I thought you were going to say, I made everyone do their skincare regime before I went to bed. I was like, that's not unreasonable. I did encourage that. Yes, 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 yes. Um, So yeah, I'm sure I wasn't a treat to stay with. And I'm sure I haven't always been the perfect guest. But I've never been asked by a host to leave. I'm reassured by that Mm, at the very least. Me neither. Lindsay, are you causing drama? I think that as I have settled more into living by myself, which I've lived by myself for three years now, ever since I moved to Sydney, I have become increasingly difficult to spend extended amounts of time with just Mm. because I'm so used to my space now Mm. and the way that it works for me. Mm. So when people do come to visit, I have um, all my family and all my friends are in Victoria and I'd love when they come to stay. Mm -hmm. And I do really like putting on the like character of like the welcoming host and um, making dinner and cooking. I really love cooking. Mm. But I think after maybe two nights, Mm. it's like, all right, it's time now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I have way too much social anxiety to have humans around. Like, unless you are related to me and have had to put up with me for a long time, it's too intense for me. I, like, live in a constant state of pleasing. Mm-hmm. To Everything must be cleaned, like, psycho. Like, every day, like I'm constantly, where are you having a good time? Are you sure you're having a good time? Do you like your water? Is it too warm? Is it too cold? Is it too watery? Can I get you a bigger glass, a smaller glass? Do you need a thimble? Should I leave? Do you not want me here? Like, that is what my brain is doing. <laughs> you said dinner party in the beginning, and I was like, no. <laughs> you can't come and eat at my house. We'll go outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're learning so much about each other yes. along the way here, aren't we? Terrific. All right. So this is going to be just the gist of the time one of the world's most famous authors invited himself to stay at the home of another renowned author, hoping it would lead to a really deep, lifelong, fulfilling, mutually rewarding friendship between the two of them. And instead, the result was a lot of resentment and animosity. It's the story of the time Hans Christian Andersen moved in uninvited (laughs) to Charles Dickens' home and was much more of a pest than he was a guest. Wow, these are two icons. They certainly are, yes. I'm sure we've all heard of these people. 100%. um, But let's get to know them a little bit better. Let's do it. Starting with Mr. Hans Christian Andersen, painting a picture of him, and i got to tell you I relate to him far more. Um, than I was hoping I would <laughs> as I learned about him. He was born in Denmark, 1805. Just like you. Sean, Sean. <laughs> um, he was an Aries, a fire sign. Uh, can relate to that. Uh, no great surprise. His one main goal for his life was to achieve immortal fame and wealth. I mean, it worked. I'm on my way yes! as well. Yeah. And yes, for him, kudos. He... Mm accomplished that, certainly. Um, Everyone listening to this would be familiar with his work. You, of course, you've got kids. I'm sure you're like reading his work Mm. fairly regularly because he's most famous for his very well-loved fairy tales. He wrote like 150 of them, a lot of the classics like The Emperor's New Clothes and The Princess and the Pea. 
He wrote a bunch of novels as well, but no one really remembers them. It's the fairy tales he's famous for. Before he settled into writing, though, he tried and failed to be a singer and no, an actor. No, he did not. <laughs> Zero talent in either of those arenas. And if he'd been born in this millennium, I'm pretty sure he would have then gone into podcasting. I mean, 100%. Uh, but no, back then he found his groove in writing fables. Wow. And he was a shameless self-promoter, which is probably part of how he became so successful. Very, very proud character, very self-absorbed. Some call him a narcissist. And it's broadly accepted that he wrote The Ugly Duckling as a metaphor about himself when he was in his 30s and he'd finally become pretty successful and well-established because he'd sort of morphed into this magnificent swan he always knew he was destined to be, despite a childhood full of mistreatment. Years before he wrote The Ugly Duckling, he wrote The Little Mermaid, yes. everyone's favourite fish-out-of-water story. Do your kids watch The Little Mermaid? Do I watch Little Mermaid when my kids aren't around? <laughs> yes. Do I know all the songs by heart? Absolutely. And of yes, my kids love The Little Mermaid. Uh-huh. Mm. How do you get around some of the problematic elements of that movie? Ooh, that's a good question. Because to be honest with you, it's such a fundamental part of my childhood. And mm. my parents did a really good job of like talking to us about the themes of those things out after watching it. Mm-hmm. That content, especially content that doesn't necessarily show a lot of Disney movies, like might not show a, a woman being respected as an individual or mm. being a powerful figure, bossed around by a father figure, whatever, obsessed with a boy and doing whatever it takes, literally changing, risking mm. her life and giving things away. We have so many other examples of really good films in the modern era that do a much better job, but I just talked to Stella mm-hmm. specifically about it. Because if she's, I want to be a Little Mermaid one day, mm-hmm. it's like, but we would we want to change our body just for a boy mm-hmm. or a girl? You know, mm-hmm. like we have those conversations now that she's five. And I also really try to focus on what can we take away from it that's exciting, which is the music. Like, so yeah. we don't watch the movie all the time, but we mm-hmm. listen to the music in the car and I sing for them so they can understand what a gift they have. Mm-hmm. Me as a father who can sing so beautifully. <laughs> So the short answer to that question is you're handling it perfectly, perfectly. navigating it so well. <laughs> well, The Little Mermaid, when it was written, apparently an allegory for Hans Christian Andersen's own love life, because we're pretty sure that he was bisexual, mm-hmm. he might have been gay, might have actually been asexual. No one really knows. Okay. It's all speculation based on his letters and his diaries. And of course, it was a time back then when it was impossible to come out and live an authentic life as a queer person. So really hard to know and it's sort of up for debate, but some letters and some diary entries he wrote in his 20s suggest that he was absolutely smitten with a particular young man and declared that he was willing to give up everything to be with him. Mm. And then the young man suddenly found a woman he wanted to marry and off they went. He ditched Anderson completely and Anderson felt like he dissolved into seafoam completely, just absolutely heartbroken and destroyed and thought he was going to die, which is how the original Little Mermaid ends, by the way. Yeah. Very, very dark. Two important things. One, Lindsay, we should try to come in on the podcast. This would be a great episode to come out wherever you are. Two, this is just the story of all gay men. Mm. There we are, lusting. Let's paint the picture for you. The straight man across the room, and then he picks a woman, and you're left alone at the gay bar. Mm-hmm. 
This yep. is Little Mermaid my life story? Well, that's maybe why we gay boys <laughs> respond so much to The Little Mermaid. Yes. Because it was written by a gay about the gay experience. You're literally telling any girl who watches, like, do not change yourself for a man. But then you talk to gay guys and you're like, listen, just a little change. You know what I mean? Just drop your voice a little bit. You can be closeted if you need to. And guess what? If you do everything right, you'll go back to normal. <laughs> So true. I was saying this to Emily on the way here. Sean does this thing where he's so good at pulling something profound out of something that is sort of delivered in a really kind of inert way and he just did it. Okay, clip that. Send it to me. It's my bio now. (laughs) Thank you. We're both very envious of you. Anyway, one last thing to note about Anderson. He was a voracious social climber. He was born poor and very determined not to die poor. He made his mission to network with wealthy aristocratic admirers and scholarly peers so he could make his way up the social ladder. Wait, are you still talking about me or are you talking about... (laughs) Sorry. See what I mean about (laughs) relating a little bit more than you'd like to? Thanks to the hospitality of those admirers he had, he never had to buy a house of his own. He just bounced around, staying with all his wealthy fans all around Europe. So he was a perennial house guest which again, I can relate to because Mm. that's how I've been living for almost three years now. Wow. Then there's Charles Dickens, and I'm pretty sure we're all aware of him, famous Mm. English writers, one of the greats. He wrote Oliver Twist, A Christmas Carol, Great Expectations. He was seven years younger than Hans Christian Andersen. He was 35 and Anderson was 42 when they first crossed paths in 1847. Very useful to think about in history. Uh, To be honest with you, I would have thought that they were an entire lifetime apart Mm. because we Mm. think of Little Mermaid as so modern. Mm. I think we know in theory that all of the great stories you've written are incredibly old. But to be honest with you, I just think of it as 100 years apart. Mm. And it's shocking that we don't know that they've spent a lot of time together. Yeah. This had the potential to be a really great friendship. Mm. Two of the most celebrated creative minds the world has ever known coming together. Could have been just like Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg. Oh, what a reference. Slay. <laughs> now that's a link we'll put in the <laughs> description. But alas, it was not meant to be. Mm. They met each other for the first time in London. Anderson was there to find translators and publishers to release his books to the English-speaking world. And one night, a very grand countess hosted a very grand, lavish party full of A-listers. And of course, she invited Dickens and Anderson. When they crossed paths, Anderson was very excited. Dickens was maybe a little bit put off by the enthusiasm, but they got along okay. Mm. They certainly had a, a lot of admiration for each other's work. And they were also able to connect over the fact that they had poor upbringings, Mm. but had then found success through, you know, their own efforts and talents and skills. Anderson, throughout the conversation, a bit too gushy over Dickens, kept declaring loudly that Dickens was the greatest writer of the century, but Mm. they had, you know, nice chat. After the party, Dickens sent Anderson a few signed copies of his own books, along with a polite note saying, so nice to meet you. The sort of thing you could imagine one of Oprah's assistants. I was literally going to say Oprah <laughs> because that is like, if I did that, it'd be disgusting. Mm. Like, what? You're not that cute. But if Oprah did, he'd be like, Oprah sent me a book. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Basically, here you go, fan. Yes, exactly. Not equal. That's right. 
That is not how Hans Christian and- Andersen interpreted that. <laughs> he went back to Denmark and told everyone that he and Charles Dickens were now the closest Besties. of friends. Oh, my God. And over the next 10 years, he kept sending Charles Dickens these very long letters, very mm. effusive, flowery letters praising Dickens' genius. It was just fan mail that yeah, he was yeah. sending to his idol. And he also sent Dickens a lot of examples of his own work so then he could go out and tell people, Charles Dickens, one of my best friends, loves my work. Big fan, can't get enough of it, which is something he did with a lot of famous people all around Europe. He'd just send them his book so that then he could go around and brag, Victor Hugo really loves my stuff. Positive spin, hustler. Oh, yeah. Business savvy, Mm -hmm. getting the homes, not paying a thing, making the connections. Mm -hmm. 50% of me is like, ew, chill out. And the other 50% of me is like, I'm jealous of you. Mm. Hustler. Yep. Mm. Got his ass up and he worked. Yes. Dickens would sometimes write back to him, sometimes not. And when he did reply, his letters were pretty short, quite superficial. They certainly weren't very warm. Mm. Then in 1857, Dickens made a bit of a misstep. In one of his letters to Anderson, he mentioned that his family was relocating from London to a smaller town a few hours away in Kent. And he wrote something like, if you're ever in Kent, do feel free to pop in. And oh, no. no. You should never do that. When you read it, it reads like it was his way of just trying to end the decade of letters that had been streaming at him from Anderson, like the equivalent of signing off with an all the best, yeah, mm-hmm. take care, wish you everything good for your future endeavours, best wishes. He was trying to wrap up the correspondence, never thinking that Anderson would actually find himself in Kent. Certainly wasn't encouraging a visit, but Anderson took that sentence as an invitation to come and stay with Dickens and his family. 24 hours later, he's like, please, (laughs) I'm here. Basically, (laughs) but before he arrived or even announced he was coming to Dickens, he announced to the media that he was heading off to England to go and stay with the one and only, the great Charles Dickens, greatest genius of our time. So newspaper readers around Europe knew about Anderson's plans to visit Dickens before Dickens knew about those plans. (laughs) And then Anderson wrote to Dickens, warning him he was coming to stay for two full weeks and made it very clear, I am coming all the way to England just to see you. No. (laughs) He assumed Dickens was going to be so flattered that he was going to so much effort to come and pay him a visit. His exact words were, my visit is intended for you alone, above all, Always leave me a small corner in your heart. See you soon. Kiss, kiss. Oh, I have so many thoughts. (laughs) I'm so confused. Is this a love letter? Are they obviously homosexual? Like, is he an obvious homosexual, desperate for love? Is he a social climber? Is he a socialite? Is he manipulative? Is he crazy? What's going on here? Does Dickens have a partner? Oh, he's married with (gasps) 10 kids. With 10 kids? Yes. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to be forced to welcome this house guest. Your question, I think it's a... Okay, okay, okay. We're going we're gonna to get there. It's a mixture of all that. But the other thing we need to take into consideration, mm-hmm. having read um, a lot about Hamilton after the musical came out, mm-hmm. 
was that oftentimes men communicated with each other in this like what we would now mm-hmm. deem as very homosexual mm-hmm. or gay today. But back then it was like my great love. And mm-hmm. it was literally the way that men used to communicate with each other about fond friendships. Mm-hmm. But because of all the other elements in this story, I'm not sure if that's 100% true here. Because announcing it to the press, like we don't even have an example of that in modern era mm-hmm. of someone being such an intense social climber that they're willing to announce things that aren't true yet to the other person. Mm-hmm. That would cause so much drama. Yeah, I guess it would be like, soft launching a new relationship on Instagram a bit too soon. Yeah. And then you have to quickly take it back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh. Totally. And Dickens, classic Brit, he just didn't feel like he could say, look, now is not a good time. I've and got it- 10 books. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I've got 10 kids. <laughs> yeah, right. and I, books actually to write. Can, I can't even have a guest over with two yeah. kids. <laughs> in addition to all of that, they were in the final stages of their move to Kent and Dickens and his wife not having a great time in their marriage. They were actually headed for divorce. Dickens' latest novel was getting pretty bad reviews and he was very busy producing and starring in a play in London and he was trying to secretly carry out an affair with the leading lady in that play as well. Oh, wow, this is good. So he had a lot going on. He wasn't keen to have a guest but he felt it would just be too rude to say, could you maybe get a hotel? So he sort of went, okay, how bad can it possibly be? And Anderson arrived at the family home in Kent. It wasn't quite what he expected the house that belonged to the greatest writer of his generation would be. Anderson had definitely grown accustomed to staying in huge mansions and palaces with Mm. hundreds of bedrooms. The patrons he usually stayed with were barons and dukes and viscounts. Charles Dickens' place was like a small suburban cottage by comparison. A beautiful house, Mm. uh, but certainly not what Anderson was used to. He was kind of thinking it was going to be like Downton Abbey. And then it really did sort of feel like a crowded cottage with Dickens, his wife, and nine of the kids who were still living at home. But it didn't matter to him as long as he could be close to his (laughs) darling dear Charles Dickens. As long as a part of his heart was reserved for him. (laughs) (laughs) From the moment Anderson crossed the threshold, the Dickens family felt like they were being visited by a creature from another dimension. That's how I feel listening to this. Mm. He was incredibly socially awkward. He couldn't pick up on social cues. And he spoke in this very broken English with a very thick accent. So they found it difficult to even Mm. understand him when he spoke. He wasn't great with eye contact. He didn't follow the same rules of manners as they did. His demeanor was sort of childlike, but also effeminate. Most of the time he was painfully shy, but then he'd have these bursts of flamboyance. So he was kind of keeping them on their toes. These, you know, emotional highs and lows he was going through. They didn't really know how to interact with him. The first few hours were a real struggle to try to find rapport and they never quite got there. And that awkwardness just continued to mount. Now we are ready to jump into the examples of awkwardness. Within a few hours of arriving at the Dickens family home, Anderson asked a question that left the entire family a little bit stunned. He inquired which of the Dickens boys would be shaving him in the mornings. What? And the family (laughs) stared at him speechless, very confused. And so Anderson clarified that he expected one of Charles Dickens' sons would shave his face each morning 
the duration of his stay. You say face, but I'm just going to keep thinking full body. This is great. Shut up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not at all consumed about making sure people like him. <laughs> and so one of the family members asked Anderson why he was under the impression that shaving was a service they'd be providing. Great question. And he told them that it was a very proud Danish tradition that the sons of a host family would shave their guest daily. Usually the eldest son, but he wasn't fussy. Oh <laughs> he just gosh. wanted to know which this boy was going to be giving gays a bad name everywhere. <laughs> Stop it. But also, I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, maybe it's real. And maybe if you go to Denmark, you'll be able to experience it. But I don't know whether it is real or not. I tried to find out. I did a nice rigorous Google search. I found nothing to indicate that Anderson didn't just make that Of course it's not up. real. How does that culturally evolve? <gasps> if anyone Danish is listening and you've got any insights, please let us know please. if this is a thing. I need to know now. Bizarre request. None of the sons, obviously, were raising their hand to volunteer for that job. So Dickens proposed a compromise. He offered to arrange to have Anderson taken to town to be shaved by a professional barber each morning. And Dickens was willing to cover that expense. Seemed a bit sterile to Anderson, but he knew the Brits could be a little bit uptight. So (laughs) he agreed to just go with the plan. Oh, my God. The next morning was when he started making constant complaints about how cold the house was. And no matter what they did to try to warm it up, he kept whining about how chilly he felt. And in doing so, he inspired no warm feelings towards himself. It hadn't even been 24 hours and all the members of the family were like, how are we going to put up with this guy for two full weeks? Did he have his own bedroom? He did, yes. So all of, all ten kids, mm. Mr. Dickens and Mrs. Dickens. Mm-hmm. Need, and their servants. Oh, mm. and their servants need to accommodate themselves around this house guest. Which is right. f- hilarious because the Danes have an opposite, like, reputation as far as, like, being nice or mm. kind. Or, this is like a complete lack of social awareness. Mm. No social dignity. No understanding That's of right. the impact on others. In fact, any person who's ever been a guest in anyone's home for all of human history, even when we were back in caves, we were nicer than this. Mm. <laughs> I think. Yeah, this is definitely not cultural. This is very individual. No, no, no. Don't blame it on the Danish shaving your face thing. This isn't Danish. This is you, you weirdo. Uh, <laughs> little did they know that weirdo had no intention of leaving after just a fortnight no. now that he was under his hero's roof. He knew people were going to see this as a really great honour for him and he was going to milk it for as long as he could. Okay. He wanted to get as close to Charles Dickens as possible and he did his best to make it seem like they were the very best of friends, especially when visitors would come around. Next awkward interaction that got lips a-flapping. <laughs> One evening, the Dickens family were hosting a hoity-toity-ish dinner party for some of their high society friends, and they were gathered in the drawing room having polite British chit-chat, waiting for it to be announced that dinner was ready to be served. When that announcement came, Charles Dickens stood up as the host and held out his arm for one of the ladies to take so he could escort her into the dining room, Mm -hmm. which was very proud British Victorian tradition The order in which guests entered the dining room had its own specific set of rules, even at a relatively low-key affair like this. Victorian England was a very persnickety Mm. place. 
So it shocked all of the guests when Anderson thrust himself out of his chair, lunged at Dickens, nudged the lady out of the way and took Dickens' arm for himself and insisted he be the one to be escorted by the host and enter the dining room first because he, in fact, was the guest of honour and not she. Oh my goodness. If this was a movie, I would be walking out. This makes me so <laughs> yeah, uncomfortable. I feel the exact same way. Oh. And by walk out, I mean this is like very exciting. Yeah. It needs to be a movie. It get, <gasps> the plot keeps thickening. He's in love with him. Mm. This is a love affair. Mm. How can I get close to you? By having your son touch my face. <laughs> I won't go into lunch if I'm not physically touching your body. I don't know if he talks like this, but in my fantasy, he does. Mm-hmm. Oh, no one knew where to look. The people in that room were just dying and especially Charles Dickens was mortified. But of course, then all those guests just couldn't wait to get out into the real world and share the news of this little transgression, which then started circulating around the town as this juicy the piece of gossip. So Dickens was really starting to get sick of this guy and he wasn't alone. Almost all the members of his family who were old enough to be literate were writing letters to their friends complaining about how annoying this unwelcome guest was. A lot of what he did was pretty innocuous. Like, he was just a pretty quirky guy. Like, he slept with a sign next to his bed that said, I'm not dead, I might look dead, but I'm just a really heavy sleeper because he had this real phobia that he was going to be assumed dead and then buried alive. So he took that sign with him everywhere he went. He also took with him everywhere he went a three-metre-long piece of rope just in case he got caught in a house fire somewhere. He'd have that rope that he'd be able to use to escape out the window. Because I'm looking at you like this is crazy and Lindsay's like, I get it. No, I get the Mm. sign. I actually have the same sign. (laughs) (laughs) And some of the stuff he did, it was totally fun. But Charles Dickens complained that Anderson kept going out and collecting flowers because apparently he was choosing ugly flowers and then expecting them to be put on display in the home. That's not bad. Right? We're fine with that one. We're fine with that. I think on the larger list Mm -hmm. that the sign towards the bottom, Mm. rope in the middle, Mm. asking (laughs) someone to shave your face towards the top. (laughs) Yep. Let's see where you put this in this tiered system. His famous (laughs) tantrum. One of the Dickens kids wrote a letter to their friends about how a few members of the family, along with Anderson, were sitting out in the garden one peaceful sunny morning enjoying a rare patch of good weather in England. Anderson was quietly reading a newspaper, not bothering anyone, so everyone was happy. Then suddenly he threw himself on the grass, (laughs) face down, wailing, howling in despair, banging his fists... Taken aback and confused, a few of the family members tried to comfort him, but he was just absolutely inconsolable. One of them picked up the newspaper to see what he was reading. He'd read a review of one of his works that was less than flattering and was just so overcome with grief he couldn't contain it. And so the family just stood around watching this 52-year-old man throw a full-on tanty on their lawn until the embarrassment was too much for them. They'd never seen this level of emotion as Brits. And once again, they didn't know where to look. So they just went inside. Every now and then they'd glance out the window to check on him and sort of ask him, like, how many more days? When is he leaving? At what point do you ask him to leave? Mm. 
after shaving your face, yeah. that's when you ask him Day to one. leave. This break, but yeah. this breakdown right here mm. is the moment in the movie because this will be made into a movie based off this episode, and all three of us will get executive producer <laughs> credits. This is the point in the movie. This is the climax. This is when like, and we. This is the moment. Get him out of the house. Mm. Although I do have to relate to the Dickens family in this case. Mm. I used to live with a girl a few years ago, and <laughs> she's a big fan of the show, by the way. So. I, <laughs> I'm not proud of this, but occasionally when I would hear her having similar sounding tantrums mm. in her bedroom, mm-hmm. me in my adjoining bedroom. I would just turn the dial of my radio up a few notches higher mm, uh, so mm. I could pretend that I didn't hear it. <laughs> Avoidance. Exactly. Sometimes it's the best strategy. And for most people, like socially aware people, if you're having like a mental breakdown and then everyone walks away <laughs> from you, that's the moment you go, you know what I should do? Adult. Fifty In my head, he's 32 in this whole story. And now that I know that he's two decades older than that, I'm mm. like, no. Mm. By that point in your life, you have figured out some social cues. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I'm a guest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But clearly that was never once, ever, ever a consideration to him. In fact, that is his house. Yeah. <laughs> he's main character energy and they are subplots. Yeah, he lives there now. <laughs> Speaking of main character energy. Here we go, here we go. There's more. This is where he really shines in that arena. He went to see Charles Dickens perform in that play he'd been so vigorously rehearsing with his leading lady. Mm. Anderson took his seat and he made sure everyone was aware of a few important things. Number one, he made sure the entire audience was aware of his presence. He felt everyone needed to know that they were in the presence of the Hans Christian Anderson. Would Sorry to interrupt. Is Hans Christian Andersen's profile in England at this point big enough that people recognise who he is? He expects that it is. Okay. The answer is no. Okay. It's really not. <laughs> I thought but his stories became well-known later. They did, mm. yes. They were only just recently being published in I the English-speaking world. published a children's book that many people read in my town. <laughs> mm. He really wanted to make sure everyone knew he was there, but specifically he wanted Queen Victoria to know Mm. he was there because Mm. she was sitting up in the private balcony. So from when he entered, he was acting in a very, very flamboyant way. He also made sure everyone knew he was appreciating the show more than anybody else. He laughed the loudest. (laughs) He wept the loudest. He clapped the hardest. He was the first on his feet to give a standing ovation. He completely pulled focus throughout the entire show, made the entire performance about him. All of the actors wanted him to die. Mm. It was such I want a him distraction. To die. I actually want to die. Like if I could die right now and not hear the rest of this embarrassing story, I would. And then later when he and the VIPs were at the after party, he expected now was the moment he was going to be swarmed by all his fans Aww. and society folks who were desperate to meet him, including Queen Vicky herself. <laughs> Everyone at the party just did their best to avoid making eye contact with him after the display he'd put on, especially Queen Victoria. So he threw another of his tantrums Mm. and then stormed out of the theatre weeping loudly. Oh, no. And so... He's a mess. Five weeks after he'd arrived (laughs) at the Dickens family home, somehow he finally got the hint that they weren't thrilled about his stay there and his presence would no longer be tolerated. We don't know exactly how they got that message across to him at last, but off he finally fucked. 
And he clearly <laughs> understood that his time with them hadn't been a fairy tale with a happy ending like he'd hoped because when he left, he wrote a letter to Charles Dickens saying, please um, just forget some of the stuff <laughs> about our life together that wasn't that great. I wasn't my best self, so let's just leave that in the past. No need to tell anyone about any of the cringy stuff. But, of course, Dickens got straight to bitching about him to anyone who'd listen, <laughs> telling them exactly how tedious he found Anderson, as did the rest of the Dickens family. A lot of it was actually very mean-spirited and didn't make Charles Dickens seem that great when he'd make fun of um, his language skills or physical yeah. appearance, that sort of stuff that was sort of unnecessary. Focus on the cringy behaviours. Focus on yeah, the choices I will. he's making. Yeah, um, Charles Dickens even put up a note in the guest room on the mirror saying Hans Anderson slept in this room for five weeks, which seemed to us like forever as a hint for future guests that they should absolutely not overstay their welcome. Anderson kept writing fan mail to Dickens, hoping he could rekindle something that he'd obviously extinguished. Give up, bro. Dickens replied just once with a few sentences of commentary about the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Then he just stopped communication, possibly because a German newspaper published a first-hand account that Anderson wrote about his time staying with the Dickens family without getting their permission. No. And in that, he sang the praises of Mrs. Dickens as the most wonderful, perfect hostess, which was a bit awkward for all of them to hear about when it was published because by the time that came out, Mm. Charles Dickens' affair had been exposed and Mr. and Mrs. Dickens had separated. Oh. Some people even speculated that it may have been Anderson who tipped Mrs. Dickens Mm -hmm. off that Charles was having it off with the leading lady actress and that's why he finally got kicked out of the house. This is actually a crucial plot to the movie, Mm -hmm. Overstay Mm -hmm. My Welcome. This is really a good note at the end. She becomes a part of the drama. Make a note of that. Um, Yeah, and then even though Anderson's books went on to become huge sellers Mm. in the English-speaking markets, Anderson never went back to England ever again, never crossed paths with Charles Dickens by design. But despite all those eccentricities, all those idiosyncrasies, maybe even partly because of them in some capacity, Hans Christian Anderson is still considered to be the greatest Dane in Danish history. You just really wouldn't want to have him knock on your door and come stay as a house guest. I mean... And that is just the gist of one of the most random rogue stories I've spent time researching, but I had so much fun with it. It was just the gist of the time. I love it. Hans Christian Andersen. It screams movie. Does it not? This Mm. is so unrealistic and crazy and wild, and yet everyone can relate to like a really bad guest or someone socially unaware. The plot continues to thicken. Mm. I have to watch it in a movie. I'm incredibly uncomfortable. And also, I'm not sure that I can ever watch Little Mermaid again because I'm never going to be able to think about who was writing it. This wild, (laughs) wild creature. I love it. I hate it. But I love it. But I hate it. But I love it. Thank you for coming on that ride with us. Thank Sean. you. So great to have you back. Thanks for having me. What have you got coming up between now and the end of the year? Oh, um, so my I'm finishing my book. Mm-hmm. That I guess is like the big piece of information. So mm-hmm. next year I'm coming out with my little book. Not little. It's a book. It's a book about me and my life as mm-hmm. a parent. And I'm finishing it and it's going to be done by the end of the year. So that is 
the only thing that I will be thinking and breathing and speaking and mm-hmm. singing about. Mm-hmm. May the force be with you. Thank you so much. I really can't wait to read this. It's coming out in March. Yeah, yeah. May, yeah. May, 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 May. I hope. Fingers crossed. Now that I've said it on a podcast, it has to come out. <laughs> and everyone can find you, of course. On the gram. I'm an Instagrammer. That's my thing. So S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. We'll leave it in the show notes. Terrific. Thank you once again. And just as, of course, speaking of show notes, there will be a few links to a few articles if you want to check this out, see some pictures of the people who are involved and maybe even read some of the letters that document (laughs) this bizarre. How did you first come across this story? Well, actually, it's to do with um, the controversy. That's the wrong word for this. It's to do with the stupid bigots who were outraged that a black woman has been cast mm-hmm. to play Ariel oh, in the new live-action version of The Little Mermaid. And Dana Schwartz, who hosts a podcast called Noble Blood, we've mentioned on Just the Gist a few times, she posted on Twitter.com a stream <laughs> of tweets, tweets, yep. tweets, 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 yep. tweets, um, that we're talking about um, the fact that she was like, if everyone's talking about The Little Mermaid, Mm. I feel like this is a far more interesting conversation to have than debating what the skin colour of a mermaid might be and put a few of these examples of things Hans Christian Andersen did out there. One of my friends um, was laughing at it one day and told me about it and that's what sent me Mm. down the rabbit hole. Oh, I think it's absolutely 100% worthy Mm. of conversation (laughs) because no one knows this and everyone knows them. And like the fact that they cross paths and it just honestly screams movie has to be made, must be done. In the meantime, enjoyed discussing it at a dinner party, Gistners. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. He also kept a diary of when he masturbated and the <laughs> sensation. Okay, that's enough. Bye. <laughs> you really did. That's it. So funny. Okay, Gistners, hope you enjoyed that. That was a bit of a random selection um, of a story. (laughs) Do let us know if you decide to discuss that at a dinner party. Debate maybe who exactly was in the wrong at each (laughs) twist and turn along the way. Uh, Next week, we've got something that is just as random, more random. What do you reckon, Lindsay? I think it's even more absurd than this one. Yeah, it's um, pretty surreal. We've got uh, Bianca Ismailovsky mm-hmm. on the show, and I told her the story of It's a Royal Knockout, the time that Prince Edward organised the royal family to participate in a slapstick physical comedy game show in order to raise money for charity. The costumes were outrageous, the props were so silly, and the whole thing was not well received. So that's something for you to look forward to over the next week. Till then... Have fun. Bye. Queen Elizabeth was right to oh. tell Charles not to do it, uh-huh. right? Like, uh-huh. you are going to be king one day. You mm-hmm. can't be doing this because Tom Jones is going to be fake hands around. Oh, we can't have you in This madness. This madness. This is not the brand. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the brand. Mm-hmm. Listener.